0: Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is the Us Women's Hour. This week on the show, I'm talking about debt, and specifically whether or not we're making it too easy for young women to back it up. Plus, we have the amazing Sabina Khan, author of Zara Hussain is here, talking about immigration, sexuality, and writing young adult fiction. And I'll be answering one user's dilemma about saving for a mortgage. So let's crack on. Now, you might have seen a lot of media attention recently about marketing campaigns for brands such as Klarna, Clearpay, and Laybuy, what are called buy now, pay later brands. So essentially, if you've never used these services, they're kind of built into the checkouts of your online shopping. So when you're shopping, H&M particularly, I feel like I spend a lot of time avoiding the Klarna payments on H&M, you can instantly choose not to pay for the whole amount, but to split that payment over a period of weeks or months. and there has been some fears around this, particularly because so much of the marketing is geared towards women. But in the last couple of weeks, this has ramped up because Laura Whitmore, host of Love Island, took part in a lay-by campaign. So Layby is, like it says, a buy now, pay later service. And they did a campaign which is very much around financial empowerment for women. So, talking about how women should be thinking about their money and how we should be using it for ourselves and using it for our own empowerment, all of which are really good messages, but don't necessarily go with the brand values of, well, getting you to pay as much as you can, as quickly as you possibly can. And as somebody who was in a lot of debt in their 20s, credit card debt, I particularly feel really uncomfortable with these services. Now, I'm would be lying. I said, I haven't used them. I've definitely used, I think it's Klarna. I think I've used Klarna once. And it was such a rush when I used it. I was like, oh my God, I bought this and it's only cost me £20. It hadn't. It had cost me nearly £60, but I just split it. And so somehow in my head, it didn't count. And I felt that same kind of ease and excitement of purchasing that I used to feel when I just stuck everything on a credit card. And it absolutely terrified the living daylights out of me but I think there are kind of two parts to this conversation that we have to be aware of. So the first is obviously the impact of racking up debt has on young women, but also the other part is that actually a lot of women are in a position right now where they have no choice, where actually they have lost money through COVID, they have lost their jobs, they might have been furloughed for a long time. If they want to buy something, their only opportunity for doing that is to put it on this modern day layaway scheme. And it's really easy then for journalists to become a bit Dismissive and judgy around the women who do that. And yet, most of us have been there. And of course, if I could go back in time and tell my 20 year old self anything, it would be don't put it on the credit card. But I'm also aware that I had some really amazing experiences because I did put it on the credit card. And I got some really incredible things and had some really lovely times in my 20s because I took out that debt. And long term, yeah, it made life harder, but it allowed me to feel a bit special and I wonder if that's what we should be talking about about why it is that young women in their 20s so need and frankly, 30s and also 40s so need to feel that level of specialness to feel like we deserve something that we are treating ourselves that we are looking after ourselves and I suspect it's because the world around us doesn't make us feel like that actually, when we look at the way women are portrayed in media, when we look at how women are dealt with at work, when we look at the constant sexual harassment, we look at the constant belittling of women's experiences, well, that is a tough life. And so if we are trying to appease ourselves in some way with some small purchases, I don't think we can be blamed for that. But also, I think we need to say that it's not helping. And we need to crack down on the companies that are trying to make it worse for women. I'm sure Klarna, Clearpay, layby all of them would say they have the best possible intentions, but actually they want to help women stay out of debt by giving them interest-free credit. But interest-free credit is still, well, money you owe, even if it's not racking up the interest. And if you don't pay it, you end up with debt collectors, And I don't want anyone ending up there. This is
1: the Badass Women's
0: Hour podcast. I'm always in awe of authors and their commitment to bringing us stories so we can better understand the world. I saw someone on Twitter describe an English literature degree as degree in empathy, and I quite like that. But in particular, I'm in awe of the authors of young adult fiction who not only tell stories that capture the hearts and minds of their readers, but manage to do it for an audience that otherwise want nothing from adults. I'm basing that on me as a teenager. So I love talking to Sabina Khan about her own amazing life, and it is an amazing story and the life of the character, Zara Hussain. Sabina, <laughs> thank
1: you so much
2: for joining me. Um, no problem, thank you for having me.
1: First of all, tell us a little bit about the book Zara Hussain is here.
2: So Zara Hussain is a 17 year old um, Pakistan immigrant who came to the States with her parents. Her father is a doctor and he's on a work visa And they've been waiting for their green cards to be, you know, the process to be finished for a number of years now, and um, Zara is expecting to have it in hand before she applies for university, you know, the following year. Um, Unfortunately, she has uh, this bully at school that has been bothering her for quite some time, and things sort of get out of hand uh, and end up in a violent crime that affects Mm -hmm. Uh, her families not not through any fault of their own, but because of the repercussions of this act that is perpetrated by the bully um her family is now at risk of having you know their visa status um, jeopardized, and uh, they might have to leave the country and Zara. Doesn't accept that she doesn't accept that she doesn't want to accept that someone's reckless and you know racist Islamophobic act should impact her family and ruin her future, um, and so she fights back against that basically. Um, and you know she is she is a Muslim, she's bisexual, and there is a, a very sweet relationship she has with uh, another girl. So it's just um, you know I, I wanted to write this story basically to showcase how you know, the struggles that immigrants go through, those are the kind of struggles we don't hear about that often um, when everything is done legally by the book and still something that is out of their control happens to jeopardize everything that they've worked so hard for.
1: Can you tell us um, what was the inspiration for the book?
2: Well, it was really inspired by my own family's experience when we were living in the States um, in the late 90s. Uh, My husband was on a work visa and I was on a dependent visa, and our kids were born there. And my husband's company had sponsored his green card process, and we'd been waiting, like Zara's family, for a number of years, and we were expecting it very soon. And our entire lives were sort of hinging upon the fact that you know, when we get our green card, we can do this and etc. You know, so it was something that we were waiting for patiently, and when my husband called the lawyer to check up on the status since his work visa was set to expire uh, you know, several months later, he called in to check. He was told very casually that um, they had forgotten to file something, and so now we wouldn't be getting our green cards as planned, and that we would just have to go home, uh, which really uh, – kind of pulled out the rug from under us because we had not been prepared for anything like that financially or just psychologically to kind of pack up our lives and move somewhere. My husband and I are from two different countries, he's Mm -hmm. from India, I'm from Bangladesh, we had very young, like, I just had my second child, and it was quite traumatic for us to just kind of pack up everything and move. Luckily, we were able to get permanent residency in Canada, but we had to start all over with no financial, you know, safety net, and it was a very scary, traumatic time for us, and it left us feeling really unsafe at the time where, you know, Mm -hmm. you're building your life and you think that you're home. And you're just waiting really for a formality for a piece of paper. And then something so careless can just kind of, you know, disrupt your entire life like that is pretty jarring. Can you tell us a little bit about the the
1: green card process, why it was that you had that rug pulled out from underneath you? And what are the sort of things that can happen that can disrupt it?
2: and the, yeah so these are i mean it, things have this is 20 years ago so mm-hmm. some things have changed after uh, you know after we left over the years but at that time um the the um, work visa could only be renewed for a maximum of six times six years so every year it was being renewed mm-hmm. and so this was our sixth year and this was around march of 99 and our his, my husband's visa was set to expire in december of 99 so around february march he called you know to confirm that you know mm-hmm. is everything still okay and because the lawyer had forgotten to file a crucial piece of paper I can't wow. remember exactly what the name was um, and he hadn't told us so yeah. we wouldn't have known if my husband my husband hadn't called and you know we were just checking doing like a regular checkup and so because that paper hadn't been filed and it had been a while uh, a certain step of the process would not take place and so all of that would have delayed um, you know the process but one of the conditions for us to continue in the process at all would be to leave the country for a period of two years at first you know and then they would maybe we you know unless something else happened we may have been able to come back but then it would start the process over and so all this uncertainty and also where would we where where were we supposed to go for two years just you know out of the blue so my husband had to quit his job you know, just because we had to leave the country. He had to quit his job and we had to leave. And, you know, um, and we just settled in Canada because we just didn't feel that we, you know, we didn't really have have it in us to go back and try again and, you know, maybe have something go wrong again. It was just too much of a gamble. So we just decided to, you know, make our home in Canada where we've been for the last 20 years.
1: I mean, it's an absolutely amazing story. So I'm not surprised that kind of... The experience has sat with you and you wanted to write about it. What made you decide you wanted to write young adult fiction?
2: Well, when I was growing up, um, I was an avid reader, but I never ever saw, a, you know, I never had a book which had characters who looked like me, yeah. you know, and so I just grew, I didn't realize that was something unusual, that's just how it was, and I, so I grew up reading all these books but also back in my day there were there wasn't a young adult category necessarily it was children's and then adults so i i went from children's to adult fairly you know much earlier than i was ready for i guess to read adult (laughs) books but i just read them and i was i'm pretty sure i was reading highly inappropriate you know age inappropriate books but i read them nonetheless and it wasn't until my own daughters were like you know teenagers or preteens that they started reading and i realized that they also don't. They still don't have yeah. books where you know there are characters that look like them, and so that's sort of what kind of pushed me to you know start writing for that age group. But also because when my daughters were reading these books, I was reading along with them, so we could talk about them, and I found the voice so refreshing, and mm-hmm. I think it kind of filled something in me that I had been missing. And so it was really that that's what really attracted me, like these bold voices that were taking on very adult issues because, you know, young adults still have things that they're struggling with and dealing with and experiencing, which aren't just like for little children. They're they're, you know, mature feelings and um, and issues that they have to tackle every day. So, yeah,
1: Um, I love that you made Zara bisexual. And uh, why did you decide to do that?
2: well um i my first book as well, um the character is a lesbian, and in this one Zara is bisexual. My daughter came when she was seventeen a few years ago, she came out to us and I realized that there weren 't you know we we, talk, we would talk and have these really amazing conversations, but I realized that there weren 't any books about you know brown Muslim girls that mm-hmm. are part of the lgbtq community, and I really just wanted to write some stories that, you know, that have characters that look like her. And, you know, um, obviously other yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: brown Muslim LGBTQ kids as well.
1: I mean, I think it's, it, it's such a beautiful example of, you know, when we say representation matters, it, mm-hmm. it's so true and it makes such a difference. And if when you're growing up as you, you know, like you, I was an absolute voracious reader, um, mm-hmm. but it when you find a book where you go, oh, this character is like me,
2: it's a completely different experience. Yeah, it really is. It's an amazing experience. And sadly, I didn't have that experience until I was like 26. But I still remember how it felt. It felt really, you feel almost validated in some way that, you know, this is a story about someone whose experiences are very similar to mine, whose life is very similar to mine. So you can really relate. And it's just something else to see, you know, see somebody—you know—characters, I and mean, not just side characters, but main characters whose story really revolves around—you know—things that you've experienced. So it's an amazing feeling for sure. Have you always been a writer? Um, not all. Like when I was a, when I was very young, I always wanted to write stories because I liked reading so much. But you know, at, at that time, writing was not really. Consider, like at least, you know, where I was growing up, it wasn't really considered like a viable op- career option. So it was just something I would want to do as a hobby. But then, you know, life happened and <laughs> uh, kids and everything work and, you know, obviously moving and packing up your life and stuff like that. So it doesn't leave a lot of time, but you know um just like around the time when like i said when my kids were growing up and and reading these books that's when i was really really kind of motivated to do it no matter you know how busy i was or anything but i just Mm -hmm. thought this was something important that i wanted to do and fortunately you know i'm i've been able to um to do this like i'm able to do this for a living now so it's, it's an amazing uh it's like living your dream i would say um You know, something that you never thought would be possible, but here it is. So I consider myself very lucky.
1: Um, How have you found writing over the past year? Have you been able to write during COVID or have you found yourself kind of creatively blocked?
2: Actually, strangely enough, I've been able to write a lot more because there's just no other distractions. I mean, you know, you're stuck at home. What are you gonna do? So all everything, all my ideas that are popping up, I just I just write them down, and I'm just working on you know one or two at a time. And yeah, it's been. I mean, I have older kids, and I work from home anyway. Um, so it, it was it wasn't a huge transition for me to start working from home. I just you know don't go out that much anymore or at all really. So yeah, so lots of time for writing.
1: <laughs> um finally, if you could give you know, some advice to younger writers who are wanting to break into the industry or wanting to tell their story, what would you tell them?
2: Well, first of all, I would tell them don't give up because you do hear a lot of negative feedback. Unfortunately, that goes with the territory. There's going to be a lot of people that will say your writing isn't good enough, your story isn't important enough, it, there's no place for it in the market, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. You sort of, I mean, not that you should ignore all of it. You should do your research and you should really obviously, you know, um, uh, improve your craft or learn your craft and, jo- you know, take, you know, just kind of learn how to, um, not, not learn how to write, but, you know, learn about the industry and about the process for sure. But the story, if it's, a, if it's the story of your heart and you want to write and you want to tell this story, there will be readers who need that story. And so you just have to keep going and eventually you'll hear a yes. Some people hear it you know, sooner than others, but you know, there, are, there are authors who you know, have written one story and submitted it and gotten published, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are others who have been doing it for 10 years, and then eventually they do it, but they still do it. So it, it really depends on how passionate you are and how important this is for you, but just don't listen. Don't let other people convince you to stop. And again you know surround yourself with people that are like minded that know about the industry that are in the same you know situation as you that can and then you can support each other and learn from each other so i i found the writing community to be very helpful and very supportive and and really important for just my mental well-being because when you're going through the stages of you know from your first idea to actually having a book published there's a lot of ups and downs and it's really important and it's really nice to have that support group knowing that other people are in the same boat and going through the same things and you can be there for each other so i would say find a community i think that
1: is fabulous advice uh thank you so much sabina thank you so much for joining us and talking to us all about your book sabina khan is the author of zara hussein is here um, a fabulous book for young adults and old adults all alike
0: that was Sabina Khan author of Zara Hussein is here and finally today it's your question this week ties in with the theme of money it's money and mortgages it reads I found in lockdown that I managed to save some money I wasn't going out as much and so I scrolled away bits and pieces and as I saw the money grow so I saved even more I really really want to try and save enough to have a deposit on a flap this feels years away I've become a bit of a recluse and my friends say it's pointless to waste my life saving for something that might not be possible. What do you think? Well, first of all, well done for saving anything. I think in lockdown, actually, that a lot of people, if you were in employment, did manage to save money because we weren't going out, because we weren't tempted to buy things like a prep sandwich at lunch. And apparently there's a sort of small economic boom happening at the moment. Don't quote me on this. I'm not an economic journalist. There's a small economic boom happening because people now have this kind of stored up cash that they want to go out and spend. So well done on managing to save it. And don't feel bad that now you've got a bit that you actually think maybe I can do something with it. So I had the exact same experience when I was saving for my house. I felt like saving for house was something I couldn't do. So I just didn't do it for the whole of my 20s. And then when I had a bit of cash squirreled away, suddenly I was like, oh my God, I might be able to do this. And just everything went into that pot, including some money that I owed to the tax man that I then had to repay at a later date. I don't recommend doing it that way. So I would say if you can keep saving, really do try, particularly because if you've got some momentum going, everything is easier with a bit of momentum. You've got a goal, you're working towards it, and it feels like it's becoming a little bit more possible. So don't lose that feeling. But you also want to get realistic about the time it's going to take and what you're going to have to sacrifice in order to make it happen. So the first thing I would suggest is if you haven't already, speak to a mortgage advisor. That can feel like a scary thing to do. Sometimes we think it's something you should only do if you've got a mortgage in place. No, no. no. Go speak to a mortgage advisor early on. Find out how much you can afford, how much you might need to borrow. And that will give you a guide then as to what sort of thing you start looking at, where you start looking. And it'll help to make the whole thing a bit more real. then I would say, if you haven't already, look at different savings accounts. So look at how you can help that money go further. I think it's the lifetime ISA, which offers a pound for every four pounds you save towards your first property. That's a really good rate rate of return on savings. So put some money in one of those and build that pot up. And then finally, don't forget to have some fun too. So if this is going to be a project that takes years and years and years, you're not going to be able to stick at it if you have to become a hermit for 10 years. Instead, be honest about your budget and what you can afford to save every month. And maybe that does mean making some sacrifices, but don't become all sacrifice and no pleasure. We need a little bit of joy in our lives to make the tougher stuff worth doing. So budget into your budget, if that makes sense, some joy each month, whether that's going out with friends, buying yourself something you love, or just having a really nice dinner at home. Whatever it is, don't forget to have a little bit of fun too. And good luck with the saving. That's all from me for this week. As I told you last week, we're coming kind of towards a close on Badass Women's Hour. But there's still a few more episodes to come and still a few more amazing guests. So do stay with us. And we've got a new special project that I'll be talking to you about very soon.
1: You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in
0: depth chat.